Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. We all know that I'm a big advocate for spending 15 minutes of one-on-one time with your child daily. Now, obviously, that can get very tricky with busy schedules and life, or you can run out of ideas for things to do one-on-one with your kids. And this is where KiwiCo comes in. I've told you about our rainbow crate that we tried, and we seriously loved it. So if you're wanting to find an easy craft project or science project for your kids where everything is prepped and ready to go and cost-effective, go to the link in the show notes and get on your subscription for KiwiCo. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. I am so happy you are listening this week. On today's episode, we have Angie from SpeechWorks Utah, and we are talking all things speech. Speech is such an overlooked and important part of development in kids because if there is a speech delay or a speech struggle of sometimes, it will affect social skills, emotional regulation, coping, and then those things lead to struggling with mental health. So if you can detect speech issues early and get treatment for them, or if you can be aware of speech issues, it can really make can really help set your child up for success and set them up on with a solid foundation for emotional wellness as they grow up. So I really hope you enjoy this interview. If you do, or if you've enjoyed other episodes, please subscribe, rate, and review. It really does help me so, so much. And I read and appreciate every single one of them. Make sure you listen all the way to the end because Angie has the best mom fail I've ever heard. She was so much fun to talk to, so honest, so open, and her mom fail is epic. So I can't wait for you to hear and I'll see you guys next week. Hi, we have Angela Ronick with us and she's a speech therapist here in Utah. Welcome, Angela. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do. So I, like you said, I'm a speech therapist. I work mostly with kids. Most of my caseload is between 18 months old up to like 14-ish, but I work up to 21. Um, And I work on things like speech sounds, language skills, stuttering, cognitive skills, like um, scheduling things or working. (laughs) But I work on cognitive skills that you would use for day-to-day, like following directions, making a plan and following that plan. Um, Those sorts of executive functioning skills are part of speech as well. So um, I worked for the school district for three or four years after I graduated um, with my master's in 2013. And after a few years, I decided to work on my own. So now I run a private practice called SpeechWorks. 
And I do that just from my home office. It's been really, really awesome. And I love my job. Yeah, I didn't realize how many different things a speech therapist does until my own son needed speech. And then I was just like mind blown at how many, it's not just talking and articulation. There's so many other things that go into it. Yeah, it's a broad scope of practice, that's for sure. Just what I covered is only pediatrics. We also work with adults, um, NICU babies on feeding issues. So there's a lot to cover and a lot of people just like yourself don't realize, oh, a speech therapist could help with that. So I love advocating for speech therapy and showing parents how, can it, how it can improve their child's communication. You also have a bomb Instagram account and amazing hair. You forgot to mention that. <laughs> I've got a real 80 shag for those who are just listening. So um, yes, I love my, I love my hair. Recently embraced my curls and my Instagram is one of my favorite hobbies. It's so fun to share there. So thanks. Tell everyone what the handle is for that so they can go find you in Polly. Sure. It's at Speech Works Utah. So I'm there on Instagram and also on Facebook. And I just recently started a TikTok. So oh, cool. In, here and there I post, but it's the same SpeechWorks um, Utah. And in, on TikTok, it's just UT on the okay. other Utah spelled out. So Okay. So, and you have two kids, right? Yeah. So I have a seven-year-old. She's turning seven in June, just a few more weeks. And a four-year-old, two little girls. Cool. So what would you say your parenting philosophy is? Uh, that's a great question. Um, something that I had to spend some time thinking about because I'm very, I would say hands off. I like my kids to develop their own skills, develop their own interests, learn how to do it themselves. And I only help them with something if they come and ask me for help. I, I kind of like to be an observer in their environment and in their world. Um, as far as discipline goes, I'm very much a, a time in parent. So um, I like connecting with my kids and, and, you know, making them feel safe with me. One thing that may surprise people is that I am not great at playing with my kids. <laughs> Either. I mean, literally, I, I do play therapy and I'm not great at playing with my yes, kids. Yes. It's hard. You kind of use it all up on your clients and stuff, mm -hmm. right? And so when you get home after a long day of being super animated and really playful, you kind of need to decompress. And so we connect in other ways like coloring, quiet time sorts of things, watching shows together. So, you know, I, I feel like I'm lucky to be able to watch them and give them the freedom to explore the things that they love. So I'm, I'm kind of just along for the ride with them. I love that outlook and I love that you allow them to problem solve. I think sometimes as parents, we just jump in and rescue them because sometimes it's easier and less messy, but also we just want to help them, but we're actually hindering them because we're not letting them learn those problem solving skills or the skills of how to come ask for help if they need it. Yeah, I, I feel like I sometimes have to resist as well you know, being super involved, you know, if I see my girls climbing on something, I really have to hold back and say, instead of saying, oh, be careful, let me hold your hand or something. I just say, hey, what's your plan? What, what are you doing? You know, and try and try and lead them to their own kind of decisions instead mm -hmm. of 
instead of taking total control, trying to resist the helicopter, it's hard. It is that so helicopter hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's hard. So I got a lot of speech questions for you. So we'll dive into those. Um, how can an undiagnosed speech delay impact like behavior and cause behavioral issues? This is such an important question to be asking and thinking about. So um, every toddler who's around 18 months of age goes through a period where they are really difficult. It's why it's called the terrible twos is because they are smart enough to know what they want and how they want it, but the language skills aren't there to communicate. And so mm -hmm. instead of communicating that with words, they communicate that with actions. And the easiest action is yelling and screaming and hitting and kicking, mm -hmm. you know, throwing themselves on the floor. So in young kids who have a speech delay, um, in addition to what's already hard about being two, kids who are that age who have a speech delay have longer and more severe tantrums. Oh. So it's not in your head <laughs> that your child may seem a little bit harder if they have that speech delay component going on. Um, just because of access. So communicating gives you access to the things that you need and want and enjoy. As a child grows, that looks different um, as they age and continue. If they have a language disorder and they're in elementary school, you're going to see them having a hard time following directions, which can get you in a lot of trouble at school. Um, they're going to have a, a tough time expressing emotion and connecting with peers. A lot of kids who are have a language disorder in that school age category have a hard time making friends because <laughs> usually um, the most engaging and quote unquote popular children have the best verbal skills. Right. And so if your verbal skills are limited, that social aspect is more difficult for you and that's of concern. And then even older into the junior high, high school age, thinking about not being able to follow directions in junior high and high school. And those um, understanding skills are there. So you don't even know what's being asked of you exactly. Um, that, that gets really tricky. And especially for people of color who have a language delay or a disorder in that age group, they get in trouble with the police a lot because of that disorder is at the root of that inability to follow directions and take criticism and kind of, you know, aggregate all the information you need to get done what needs to get done. And the more lost you feel, the more frustrating it is at that age. So if we don't intervene in that process at all and help build those language skills, you see some really sad outcomes for, mm -hmm. for kids as young as two and as old as 18, 21, as old as they get which is, it's really heartbreaking. So I'm really passionate about early intervention, closing the gap as far as language delay goes and making sure that kids have the skills they need to advocate for themselves and to, to be able to know what accommodations they need to be successful in any environment. That's so amazing. And I think it's a, uh, such a needed resource, right? Because it's not something that like I had no idea until my son needed those resources that they were even there or what they did. So I think most parents just don't know where they don't know the signs of a speech delay. And so we just kind of, you know, oh, it'll be fine. And then it's not fine. 
yeah, that you you are not alone in that experience. That that's a pretty common thing that I hear from parents is that we don't we didn't even know until someone else brought it up, or we didn't even realize that help was out there, you know. And so connecting people to resources is really important, and just spreading awareness that this can happen. 10% of kids have a speech or language delay. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty common. Um, so the more that we can talk about it and get the word out, the more people can identify their kid as being at risk and the more help we can, we can give to the people who need it. That's so awesome. So what is your biggest tip for a parent who's worried about their child having a speech delay or a language disorder of some kind? Um, the first, as far as um, when you're first having a concern, trust your gut. Um, people will tell you, oh, they're going to be fine. Oh, they're going to grow out of it. And they're right. Most kids do grow out of it. Most kids are fine. But you don't know if your kid's going to be one of those. So mm -hmm. if you can get tools and knowledge to help you figure out if your kid's going to be one of those or not, that's where you're gonna become a really powerful parent and a powerful advocate for finding services. So if you feel like something's wrong, um, if you're in the United States, your local school district can evaluate your child from birth to 21. They will do a free evaluation. The downside is it sometimes takes time to get there. Mm -hmm. So I would say when you're first having concerns, tell your pediatrician, and even if they say wait and see, contact the school district and get on their list to have your child screened by a speech therapist and a professional. And they'll be able to tell you for sure um, if your child's starting to fall behind, if it's of concern, or if you should wait and see. So um, that's probably my best tip is reach out and, and ask a professional because those are the people who know. You know, even even pediatricians will say, oh, I think they'll be fine. Oh, they're, you know, they're just a little bit slower. And they may have had one class in their college experience, a single class on speech and language development. So who you really need to see is someone who spent six years studying that and knows all those intricacies and can reassure you one way or the other. As far as helping your child, there's lots of good first tips to go with, but I would say think about being dropped in a foreign country where you don't speak the language. Mm -hmm. if you have a toddler, right? And what would be the most helpful in that situation? Would it be asking a bunch of questions, people asking you all these questions and trying to get you to answer them in that native language they have? Or would it be slow speech, simple words? and commenting and pointing on the things that you see. And so when you, when you kind of frame it that way, it can shift you from feeling like you have to fill the silence and ask your child, what is this? What is that? What do you see? Is that a car? To, oh, it's a car. Oh, there's the dog. And kind of paying attention to what they're interested in and describing what that is. Mm -hmm. That's a great tip. I feel the same way about pediatricians and mental health, <laughs> right? So like they'll go, people will go to their pediatrician and then often they'll be like, oh, you should probably see a therapist because they just probably took one 
mental health class in yeah. school. Yeah, and not to bash on pediatricians, they are really, really important and they have a really broad, talk about each having a broad scope, pediatricians have an even broader scope. They can't be an expert in everything. Right. And it takes a while for the message of when to refer to make it down the pipe. Mm -hmm. They're doing their best, um, but they're not always on the money. They don't always have the most up-to-date information because They've got a lot of information to stay up to date on. So um, if you talk to your pediatrician and they might minimize it or they might give you some ideas to try in the meantime, you can always reach out with or without their stamp of approval. So Yeah. And I think they um, they only see your child in the office for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to, if you feel like something's wrong, to reach out and ask for support. Absolutely. I'm with you on that one. And pediatricians are amazing. I could never do that job. They're incredible. We have a great one. So is going to the school district, would that be the same as going to early intervention or is that a different resource? So early intervention will be through your local school district. um, I'll just kind of tell you about some different treatment options and people can kind of make the best choice. So that first one was through the schools. And that's the same if you have speech sounds in your you know, speech sound concerns, and your child is, you know, first, second, third, fifth grade, there's a speech therapist who services your school. And you can reach out to your school administrator and say, hey, I have concerns about speech and how it's impacting them academically. Can we get this tested? So at any point, you can request that evaluation. The trouble with schools is that there is a lot of red tape. Um, to get through a lot of paperwork and a lot of um, kind of experimental periods. So they call it like a response to intervention. They want to try a few things and Mm -hmm. see if they can get them to catch up Mm -hmm. and see if that stuff works before they do um, the full-fledged putting them in services, which is a great, I think, great keeps kids out of special education when they don't need it, Mm -hmm. but it can take a long time. Um, then we have private practices. You can search around in your area, speech therapist near me. Um, some people take insurance, some people don't. I am private pay only um, just because it's insurance doesn't often cover speech in the first place. Um, and it's usually a fight to get it to cover speech. But if your insurance does, you can find providers through your insurance company Um, That's going to range, whether it's private pay or um, insurance covers it, between about $30 to, you know, sometimes $200 a session, depending. Um, So that's one of the downsides of private therapy is that it's going to be an out-of-pocket cost. Mm -hmm. They can get you in a lot sooner than maybe somebody at a school district. Um, A third option that some people don't realize is that your local hospitals will have speech therapy services available. Um, It's called outpatient speech therapy. So if you call your local hospital or primary children's has offices all around the state. Um, So they likely have an office near you that you can call and say that you are looking at getting speech services and they can connect you with a therapist at the hospital. So people who have insurance that cover speech, the hospitals are a great way to go to. So those are some some good 
avenues to take if you're looking for services and you're not sure where to start. Investigate each of those and try and figure out what's the best fit for your family. That's awesome. Thank you so much for explaining that. Yeah. So late talkers, I get questions about this all the time. When are, should you be concerned about a late talker? What is normal as far as like developmentally for kids in that toddler age that are just starting to talk? Yes, yeah, so this is a common question for me too. Um, and I spend a lot of time on this because that's kind of my, my expertise is in that area, I would say. So like I said before, we can offer speech services from birth up until 21. So if you notice there's some um, diagnoses that you know right away that they're gonna need help from birth. So kids with Down syndrome or Fragile X or other chromosomal, chromosomal um, sorts of issues will need that support at birth, making connections, making sure their hearing is checked. Um, as far as when people talk about late talkers, we're usually talking from a year to two or three years old. So with that age range, you have a big, huge range of development, right? So an 18 month old, or a 16 month old might have maybe like five words. Mm-hmm. A three-year-old has thousands of words. Mm-hmm. So that skill range, there's a, there's a whole bunch of skills in there that could be delayed. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna walk you through normal development. Okay. And as you listen, if you're saying, oh, my child doesn't do that yet, it's a red flag. Is it a guarantee that your child has a speech de- delay and is gonna need therapy for hours and hours? No, but it's something that you should keep an eye on and try to learn what you can do to encourage speech, right? So at a year old, we want kids to have about five words, expressing five words. We want to see kids um, interacting with adults, turning when their name is called, and playing. So the type of play we want to see with a one-year-old is stacking and Mm -hmm. knocking it down. Um, So build the tower, break it down, putting things into containers and taking them back out again. Play skills and language skills develop hand in hand. So a lot of times when you see a delay in language and speech, you will also see a delay in play skills. So you might have a one-year-old who just likes to shake a rattle. Mm -hmm. That's more of like an eight old to six month old play skill is shaking. So if they're not yet stacking or interested in filling and emptying containers, then you might say, hmm, we've got some skills we need to work on. If we fast forward to 18 months, um, that's when the average 18 month old has 50 words. So some 18 month olds have more than 50, some 18 month olds have less than 50, but um, If you're not noticing your child gaining words, like maybe a new word or two every week, right around 18 months old, you might look into things you can do to help your child build their speech. Um, Then when we get to two years old, and this is where you're going to hear something different at your doctor's office at two years old, because they'll ask you if your child has 50 words at two years old. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> and the average, so that's, that's a milestone. Just keep in mind that a milestone is an event that happens. Graduating high school is a milestone. Right. So people graduate and get their GED when they're in their 30s. 
Some people get it when they're 17, they graduate early. So it, it's just an event that they're looking for. It doesn't necessarily tell you whether they're on track or not. Okay, that makes sense. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. so they're using that as a milestone. I wanna look at the average. So the average two-year-old says between 100 to 250 words. And I don't say that to make parents feel bad because usually right around two is when you start notice that your child's not talking yet. Mm -hmm. And so when I say 100 to 200, you may think my child is only saying 10 words. They have so far to go. Um, and right around this age, right around two years old, typically developing kids will have what's called a vocabulary spurt where all of a sudden they're saying new like five new words a day. Mm -hmm. You can't hardly keep track of how many they're learning. Some kids have that spurt right before two, right at two, and some kids it comes a little bit after two. Mm -hmm. And so if your child just had its second birthday and they have 50 words, but not a hundred yet, and you start noticing that they're learning more new words every week, that progress is a good indicator that they're tracking along. Okay. They're doing well. If then, you know, that's that's a concern to me. Um, because that right in that age range, we want to see growth. If you're not seeing growth, you're seeing that plateau. Mm -hmm. That's when I would definitely reach out to someone and say, look, they have 50 words, but they've had 50 words since they were 18 months. They haven't had any new words in the last six months. Mm -hmm. that's a concern so what we want to track is our skills progressing are they understanding more words can they follow a simple one-step direction like go get your shoes or hand me the ball um, we want to look at how is a two-year-old playing are they starting to imitate things like pretending to talk on the phone or pretending to swish a broom around um, those types of play skills are important at two years old then when we get to three, we want to see kids starting to put words together. Okay. We want them to have be able to say pretty much anything that they want to say. Okay. Um, they mostly have access to that. So, so tracking how many words is a great indicator at that age. And then seeing if there's been any growth. Okay. It's kind of my best indicator for parents to screen. Is that clear? Yes. Or did yes, I get too much? Super, I <laughs> wish I had known this. So, well, when Sam, my oldest was two, he had like 10 words. So I wish I had known this back then. I also, I have twins and the youngest one doesn't like to talk as much. So this is like very helpful. She's three. So, but there is progression. Okay. She's maybe just a little behind. So anyway, super interesting. A little Great. Yeah. No, I, when, so I have a follow-up question. Yeah, let's hear it. A myth you hear is that boys are slower to talk. Is that true? So this is true. Yes. Oh, I wasn't well, expecting yes. it to be true. Cool. <laughs> no, um, it's not significantly slower. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of things with boys that are more common than girls. So more boys stutter than girls. More boys have language delays than girls. Um, and it's just something that with that Y chromosome, man, all the all the nasty stuff likes to stick to the Y chromosome. So boys, a lot of times, get a little bit of the short end of the stick when it comes to these things, when it comes to development. 
Um, that's not to say that girls can't be mm -hmm. language or speech delayed, um, but the majority is much more common in boys. Um, and even in general development, boys will, like typical development, it is slightly slower with boys. So that that is true. <laughs> How much does attention and focus play a role in like language development? So if you have a child that really struggles with those okay. things. So I, I would say links, let's see, attention and focus and speech and language. You can, I wouldn't say that there are very many, I've never seen a child so distracted that they can't talk. Okay. I, you know, it's, I work with lots of kids who are busy, mm -hmm. um, especially in that two-year-old age range, they switch activities. It feels like in under a minute, we're going on to the next toy, on to the next thing. Um, so building up attention is an important skill. And especially in that age, that's when you're teaching them to stick with something. So I think their attention and language skills are friends, mm -hmm. but they're not best friends. They're not holding hands the way play skills and language okay. skills hold hands. So are they related? Yeah, I think so. That, you know, even with older kids who maybe have ADD, a lot of my speech kids have ADD. Um, not that they cause each other, but that they kind of go together. They're buddies. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think it causes speech, but those things co-occur a lot. Gotcha. Okay. That's good to know. Um, so what can people do overall to promote healthy speech in their kiddos? I know you gave a few tips earlier about pointing things out, saying that yeah. Slowly, I remember the speech therapist, you say it slow so they can read your lips and yeah. do the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So for kids who are developing that, that late talking toddler age range, um, using descriptions. So I, I like to kind of go over these in a sense because they're what you hear most often mm -hmm. and exactly how to implement that, it's not gonna work great. So a lot of people will say, narrate your day. Maybe you've heard that. Narrate what you're doing. And I mentioned that earlier. It, label what you're doing. Talk about it. I'm cutting the peppers up. We're putting them in the pot. That sort of thing is great for building language, describing what's happening. But another really important skill to pair with that is using wait time. So if you're doing all of the talking and you never give your child a chance to respond, then they don't get practice with that language. So you can say, we're gonna put it in the pot and then I wait for the child to have a turn. That turn might look like eye contact or a gesture or a vocalization, or it might be a word or a sentence, but I'm gonna give them opportunity to say or do something. And I'm gonna look at them really expectantly, like lean in, eyebrows up, a little bit crazy, um, <laughs> so that they feel that silence, right? When, whenever something gets really quiet, it gets uncomfortable and you feel like you have to feel the silence. I want your child to feel that silence and that obligation. And at first, they won't know what you're doing because you've always been the one who took all the turns. But when you use that wait time in the right way, 
they'll start understanding, oh, oh, I'm supposed to say something. I'm supposed to do something. It gives them time to process and it helps them understand that there's back and forth in this interaction. Yes, yep, making sure that there's back and forth there and responding when someone initiates is really important when it comes to social skills. And that's another reason, like I said earlier, kids who have a language delay, often their social skills are delayed because that language piece really influences what you're capable of communicating with somebody else. So, so that weight piece is really important when it comes to narrating. I'm sure lots of people tell those who have concerns about speech, read to your child, read to them. And parents will come to me and say, I'm reading to my child every day. I have always done that. And that's not helping anything. We can adjust the way that we read to build speech using wait time. So instead of just blazing through brown bear, brown bear, to get to bed, I'll say brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I see a, and I'll let it be quiet for kind of a long time. And then if they don't <laughs> say anything, I'll say, Red bird, you felt uncomfortable there, didn't you? Yeah, right? I did a little bit. The, eye, the <laughs> you eyebrows, you were bear. looking at me. Yeah, I, was... I was getting you. I was getting you. If I waited a little longer, you would have said red bird, I know. <laughs> but, but if it's a familiar book, it's something that happens over and over again. It's the same language. If you use that wait time during reading, they might fill in a word. They might not, but you have a good chance of teaching them, look, it's your turn. You know, you can sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little, and you hope that they say star, mm -hmm. right? And give that wait time like a solid five seconds, a slow five seconds. And that sounds short, but in reality, it's really long. I didn't wait five seconds on either of those interactions that I just did, and mm -hmm. it felt long, right? Yeah. So using wait time, and then describing, using those two things in your everyday interactions with them can really help them gain confidence and make more attempts at communication. The more practice they get, the more tries at communicating, the better that's gonna go. Where does signing fit into this? Is it a helpful thing with for language development? Is it helpful if your child's struggling with language development to teach them to sign? That's something that is, I, I feel like talked about a lot. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So sign language is language. Don't forget that it has the actual word in it. So anytime a child uses a sign or a gesture, that's communication. And a lot of people feel like, oh, if they use sign or even, um, at what's called an AAC device, which is, you know, think of Stephen Hawking, how he had like a computer that would talk for him sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, that's available. Certain systems like that are available to kids and parents sometimes are hesitant to use sign or to use pictures to communicate because they think that then their kid won't verbalize when the research actually shows the opposite, that kids who struggle with speech and they learn signs and they learn picture exchange or those AAC devices that their verbal speech grows right along with it. Because even if they're using a different form of language, they're still using language and that builds their understanding of language and it builds the, their vocabulary no matter what. So I love using sign, especially for kids who 
Um, late talkers, we always start with a couple of signs like help, more, and all done are my go-tos to start. Um, yep, all done. <laughs> they're, they're easy to teach to kids because you can do hand over hand. So if they're not imitating you, you can reach over and use their hands to do, look, you want more. Here's another M&M. Here's another fruit snack. Um, so incorporating sign really does strengthen language skills. And I mean, just from my own, like, like I mentioned earlier, I see a lot of kids who are really busy um, and they're on the move a lot. And when I see kids who are really interested in motor movements, sign is a great connector between motor skills and speech skills. So if I notice a child loves to run and climb or color, those sorts of like fine motor skills or gross motor skills, I love to incorporate sign because it seems to just really connect with them. Like, oh, help, there we go. Now I can get what I need um, and kind of bridges that gap and makes what I what, what I call the communication connection that I say or do something and something happens. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm a big, I'm very much in favor of using sign um, and pairing it with words. It encourages language development. Okay, that's awesome. I uh, my <laughs> Sam still says please when he said he'll say please and he'll sign it at the same time and so it's I don't you know, know it's just never going away but <laughs> it's, it's funny because I did I use signs with my two kids when they were you know right around 18 months to two years old to try and help them not scream so much and sometimes when they get in like a heightened state they'll go back to their signs like um one time I think I had a treat or something and my four-year-old wanted more, but she just couldn't say the words, but I could see she wanted to tell me and her little fingers were making the more sign. And I'm like, oh, I know. So, so it's great support no matter what. And, you know, that's always there. If they are in a place where they can't use words or the emotions are too high, they can always fall back on that. Um, so I think it's really great. And I love hearing those stories where it's like, oh, they still use it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So if you've listened to the podcast, you know that we do mom fails every week. So yes. I need to hear your mom fail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many. There's so many. And okay, I'm going to do a real serious one if everyone who listen to this will promise not to call DCFS on me, okay? <laughs> my four-year-old, when she was younger, was one of those daredevils will, you know, you turn around and she's standing on a chair. You turn your back for one minute and she has slipped her life jacket off. She just, she just was constantly on the verge of death everywhere <laughs> I turned and always so and so I got her this life jacket and I thought, oh, this, this one's will be really good. She can't pull and sing it on. And she's trying to squirm away from me and run into this pool next to us. And I'm trying to hold her and I yank her arm. And sure enough, I give her that nursemaid's, I dislocate her, her elbow. Oh, no. <laughs> I bet you felt so bad. 
Oh my gosh, it was the worst. And it's so painful. Um, luckily enough, this, my, I don't know, my kids must have weak elbows because it had happened before to my older daughter in a different circumstance. Um, that was much less my fault. She, she um, was collapsing to the ground and hanging on something and it pulled her arm out. Um, so I'd been to the doctor and he actually taught me how to put it back in. So I quickly, you know, did this little maneuver to her arm and got it back in. And 30 uh -huh. seconds later, she was in a pain. But I felt terrible. I was like, man, I am the worst mom ever to pull her arm. I swear I wasn't pulling that hard, but I felt like a child abuser for just a split second. It was I know. Well, I so that is my biggest thing. Yeah, I, well, I was just thinking of all those times you're like holding your child's hand and they go limp noodle on you. Like that could totally oh. take their arm out of socket. It does. Yeah, that's actually happened. And once they do it once, it's more likely to do it again. So when my kids did limp noodle, I had to just them fall. I, <laughs> I can't yeah. drag them by the arm anywhere. You know, and even when people like pick them up or they'll be playing and start to swing them, I'm like, put them down. <laughs> like, no. we're gonna dislocate like it's one of these freak things but yeah that was probably my worst I felt so bad that wasn't it for me I think <laughs> well that could happen to anyone but thank you for sharing it because I'm sure <laughs> it has happened to someone else normalize it <laughs> yes they will feel so much better when they hear this and they're like oh it wasn't just me so I will feel better too. I will feel better. <laughs> remind everyone where to find you, how to get a hold of you if they want speech for their kids. You're in Davis County, correct? In Utah. Most of the listeners are in Utah. So yeah. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in this County. You can find me at my website, speechworksutah.com. I'm on Instagram at speechworksutah. The word Utah is spelled out. Facebook, SpeechWorks Utah spelled out, and TikTok, SpeechWorks Utah abbreviated. Okay. So I'd be happy to talk with you about your child. So give me a, give me a call. Okay. Well, thank you so much.